0: Welcome to Investments Unplugged. Before we get started, this commentary is for general information purposes only, and clients should seek professional advice for their particular situation. Thank you and listen on. You have to earn the ice cream, Kevin. You have to earn that ice cream before you get it. How do you predict the future? Let's be honest, part of the investment management business is trying to predict the future. If you're investing in equities, you're making a prediction on the prospects for a company. In fact, every business has an element of forecasting the future. The future market opportunities, the future earnings potential for a company, the future for commodity prices, the future for interest rates and inflation, the future of the global economy. And that takes us to the Copenhagen Institute of Future Studies and Megatrends. What is a megatrend? The Copenhagen Institute describes megatrends as long-term trends that influence societies globally. They go on to suggest that when developing a solid and successful strategy or scenario process, it is essential to identify the megatrends influencing the future of an organization and to be prepared for their effects. So, in this new post pandemic world, can we use megatrends as a basis for investing? Listen on. This is Investments Unplugged. you for joining us on Investments Unplugged. My name is Philip Peterson. I'm the Chief Investment Strategist at Manulife Investment Management. Uh, joined today by my colleagues, Makan Nia and Kevin Hedland. Hey, guys.
1: How's it going? how's it going hello
0: all right we are all social distancing we're all recording uh at our own homes and uh i think it's, it's been going fairly well so we've been basically working from home now guys for uh three months i think it is since the really since the middle of march to now oh two yeah two and a half months coming up on three months right now and uh it's been i would say an interesting going and and I think an easier adjustment for me and, and my family than you know some out there. Um, today, we're going to be talking about future trends and how it relates to one of the individual portfolios uh, at Manulife. But before we get into that, I want to get into the what you need to know that I think will actually lead into it, or some elements of uh, this co- what you need to know conversation will lead into what we're going to talk about. I'll start. My what you need to know is, there is a bicycle shortage. Now, this is something that, that uh, I, I heard and I was chatting about with uh, another colleague that given what has been going on, there seems to be a very high demand for bicycles across Canada. And the Global Mail wrote about this, um, but not only in terms of, of just leisure, but perhaps you know bicycles as an alternative to mass transit or taking the car. So the Globe reported this. In Vancouver, which tracks numbers every day, the level of bicycle traffic was dramatic. It was, it was extreme. Uh, the daily auto traffic has been down by 47% uh, as of April 1st compared with the previous year. Um, and transit ridership is down by 90%. And we see this as, as well, when streetcars pass me as I'm walking, you see maybe one or two people on them where otherwise they'd be full. Cycling was only down uh, 30%. Uh, but as of May 14th, cycling was up 13% from the previous year, while auto traffic was still down over 30%. Now, there's, in the, this report, they speak to a number of uh, bicycle shop owners across Canada, and they're saying the same thing, that sales have gone through the roof, that uh, they are out of stock, in many areas, that what would have normally taken to the end of August to sell, they've completely sold all of that by now. Um, I was in Canadian Tire uh, just the other day, and I noticed where normally you'd have you know, rows, like three or four rows of bicycles available for sale, there were none, and I think the this is one of the things that we're seeing as a consequence of the lockdown, people are looking to alternatives. How do we entertain ourselves in a summer where the kids aren't going to summer camp, uh, at least not overnight camp? How do we entertain ourselves you know, when our work commute is freeing up upwards of, of two or three hours a day? Uh, the kids are at home. What do we do? Hop on a bike. Let's go for a ride. It's an easy way to maintain that social distance. Get some exercise. Get out of the house. See areas of, of the city, whatever city you live in. Uh, see areas of the city that you might otherwise not see and you know just kind of manage through this this environment and i know you know where my son's doing that now he's getting on his bike you know uh, first thing in the morning going for a ride either on his own or with friends and as soon as i get this cast off on my arm i'm going to be doing the same thing so there's my what you need to know bicycles are in demand if you are looking for one good luck, it might be hard to come by.
1: It's funny you say that, Philip, because there's also that impact happening in greenery. So anyone who gardens out there, that very same dynamic is happening. And I was at our local one and you notice there's hardly any variety of flowers and the vegetables are like from seedling basically. And talking with the individual, he was saying it's both ways. So from the supply side is these large scale greeneries were not planted two months ago because they didn't know what the environment would look like today. And on the demand side, everyone's just looking to do something, especially during the summer. And what better way is to garden? So it's funny to see these uh, carryover effects from COVID-19 and flow into the summer.
0: Yeah. So you know, it's it's on the kind of the brighter side of things. It's it's not all bad. It is forcing us to take a step back and, and look at other things. But so there you go. Kevin, uh, you're what you need to know.
2: Yeah, thanks, Philip. Uh, my what you need to know is kind of the again on, on the impact of COVID-19 and Really what we're seeing is is what I would like to think is a a tectonic shift uh, happening uh, really as a result of work from home policies. A lot of people are realizing that they can be more productive from work from home. Companies are realizing they can be more efficient and actually more profitable perhaps by working from home. uh, Decreasing the amount of uh, space needed for the workforce, uh, especially uh, when they're leasing uh, buildings and whatnot. Now, there is a few companies that actually have announced permanent changes to their workplace policies. Just to name a few, uh, Facebook. Uh, So Mark Zuckerberg uh, recently announced that 50% of Facebook employees could be working remotely within the next 5 to 10 years. Uh, Jack Dorsey, CEO for Twitter and Square, also announced that both Twitter and Square uh, could be working from home uh, forever. Or perhaps at least they will have the choice of where to work from. Work from. Uh, Shopify. Recently, uh, Toby Lutke in Canada, the CEO, uh, announced that uh, Shopify will be working remotely permanently for most of their employees. And it's not just software companies either. Uh, Group PSA, a French automaker, announced that uh, its non-production staff could work remotely as well from now on. And Nationwide, an insurance company in the U.S., uh, plans to shrink from 20 physical offices pre-crisis to just four. Uh, A recent Gallup poll uh, suggested that a quarter of employees are not emotionally ready to move back to the office, uh, a quarter are reluctant to return because of concerns, while half has a per- per- personal preference uh, to work remotely. Uh, Global Workplace Analytics said that 77% of the workforce say they want to continue to work from home at least weekly when the pandemic is over. And 25 to 30% of the workforce will be working from home multiple days a week by the end of 2021 uh, from the US. It's also not just uh, uh, work from home, uh, it's becoming now work from anywhere. Uh, so people are, are changing their, their habits and, and moving. Now, obviously, we know the primary effects, uh, both positive and negative. Uh, corporations can save money on office space, employees save time commuting. There's uh, more time shared with families uh, because people are at home at dinner time and not stuck in traffic. Uh, the impact of local businesses that rely on on weekday foot traffic, again, more negatively, or the improvement in the environment, given the decrease in pollution from commuting. My what to know really is, though, is the pros and cons, both of the unknown. It's the secondary and tertiary effects that we don't know. And that'll be very interesting to see how industries, companies, and different sectors change for the better or for the worse coming out of this COVID-19. You know at the end of the day uh there are many key historical events that shape society such as the great depression 1918 pandemic world war one world war two 9 11 and the financial crisis just to name a few i think just this will just be another one that will change things for the uh for a while
0: well you know we're seeing that you know on our side where we're working from home um and not that we saw each other On a regular basis, because the three of us were traveling across the country, seeing advisors, Uh, we were out collectively 300 days a year. So it was rare when we would actually be in the office. So the three of us stayed in touch via text, email, phone calls. So, you know, I I think it's been an easy transition for us. And and if, for example, our company said, hey, you know, you're going to be working from home. This percentage of the time, or this, for me, I think it's an e- easy transition. I hear your point, and, and I do feel for, and think about all the businesses around, say downtown Toronto, uh, our office that depend on that office traffic. It, this is, I think, this is one of these shifts that we're going to see in our economy where we're going to have to adapt and change from this because I, I, I do question if we'll be back in the office uh, as a population to the same extent that we were before. I mean, we were starting to shift away from that, uh, a portion of us anyway. And I think that uh, some of us will continue.
2: Yeah, I think this has just sped things up and the, sh- and the changes are happening. And as I said, you're going to see positive and negative changes. And I think uh, a lot of people were perhaps reluctant to make the shift. And maybe they, uh, you know, old habits die hard. And um, maybe they didn't think they'd be as efficient or as effective at home. Uh, but I think as people are forced to do something, they realize how quickly they can adapt. And fortunately, things will adapt with it. And it'll be, as I said, very interesting to see the changes down the road from this uh, this uh, requirement uh, due to COVID-19.
1: Mark on you're what you need to know. So I'm going to take the Debbie Downer aspect of working from home. And <laughs> oh, here we go. Shocker. <laughs> but it's a reality many people are experiencing. And. That is, from working from home, you would think that you'd be working less. But the surveys and the statistics point to actually we're working longer now because we're uh, working from home. So on average, the typical American Canadian is working three hours longer. And this pandemic workday has really obliterated work-life balance for the majority of employees. So we're now nearly three months into this and I think the issue is the boundaries that were in place between work and life have kind of disappeared many of us and myself included uh, my workspace is literally 10 meters from my bedroom so there's those boundaries are not as discreet as they once were and essentially long gone are the regretful formalities of like calling or emailing your let's say your coworkers at inappropriate times and I think we're just much more Uh, willing to do that and the statistics show that employees are starting to feel burnt out so uh, here's the stack so basically this is based in the US on the data that we have so in the US homebound employees are logging three more hours per day on the job than before these lockdowns and this is based on data that is tracked through VPN uh, various VPN providers And what they've said that of all the countries that these VPN trackers track, the U.S. actually have tacked on the most hours. I'm not surprised there. And the French and the Spaniards in the U.K. have stretched it not as much but two hours. Now, the contours of our workdays have changed too without commuting, which is great. Uh, Wake-up times have shifted later. I noticed that with myself I put out a daily note, used to be coming out at 7 o'clock now, nah, I'm getting it out at 8, 8.30 in the morning. Yeah, I'm noticing and, that. <laughs> <laughs> but peak email times have also crept up too, where peak email times used to be earlier, but now they're around 9 a.m. And employees are also logging back later at night. And I was talking to Philip about it from my perspective is I have a four-year-old. So uh, during the day, we're busy with her because we're still doing work and we still have to entertain her, teach her. And we find ourselves, my wife and I, logging back on after she goes to bed. So there are a lot of positives that are coming about from this. But there's also some of those negatives in terms of being able to disconnect from home and going to work and doing work. And right now, as the surveys, they say nearly 45% of workers are burnt out. And I think we're going to find this happy medium where, Kevin, you're absolutely right, where we're going to be working from home more than what we did pre-COVID, but uh, but is it going to be completely work from home? Probably not. We'll find ourselves trickling in instead of maybe five days a week for the typical employee. Now they'll trickle in two or three days. And that's still going to have massive impacts on various networks. So that's my what you need to know. And I think it transitions very well into this the climatic, thematic opportunity discussion we're having because a lot of the themes that they invest in have seen, uh, as you mentioned, these trends that were happening be sped up because of COVID-19.
2: Speaking of burnout, you know, one of the things that, that we're finding, even with our company as well as, you know, vacation, right? How it used to be, okay, I'm going to leave my office and I'm going to go on vacation. Well, there's nowhere to go right now. So mm-hmm. do you take vacation? No, let me just work. I'll just work throughout the week, Monday through Friday. I won't take time off. And I think that's also important to realize that how do you uh, shift from my office at home? When do I turn it off? When do I uh, go away? And um, there was, there's different tips and tricks that have, people have posted. And, and one that was interesting is, is, uh, put your, your, uh, work name badge on in the morning. And, uh, you know, when you start work and take it off, when you stop work and kind of mentally t- telling yourself I'm off work, you know, and, and there's different things that people have to adapt to, to, work from home from work from the office.
0: I'll, I'll say this and this will be the last word on it and then we can we'll move on but you know I, I totally get it if if you feel frustrated if people are feeling frustrated if they're because the, that the routine has changed our our uh our footprint you know, in terms of where we go, has changed. It's it's a lot smaller now. Uh, take it from the first one. Get on your bike, go out for a bike ride, and and you know see see your neighborhood in a different way. Uh, or I think that you we really need to carve out time for ourselves. I think our company has been great at encouraging this and providing support to do this. Saying, hey, take a break, do this. In fact, you know they just announced uh, um, a. a a company-wide day off for everyone to say, hey, here you go. Do not, it's almost like absolutely do not log on to VPN. I wonder if they're actually going to be shutting VPN down that day. That would be something interesting too, to force you to not work. But yeah, I, I think it's important now to force ourselves to take time away from the laptop, the computer, the the iPhone, the whatever you, you're using to you know, to, to decompress. All right. So with that, you know, let's let's uh, kind of lead from there to some of the changes that we're seeing. And and I think I'm going to start the conversation this way. The coronavirus pandemic was unpredictable, um, like no one could have predicted that this was going to happen. There's been lots of talks of the potential for a pandemic and what it might look like and, and speculations around that. Um, I think the really interesting thing is there are some trends that were occurring before the coronavirus that as a result of the lockdowns are going to accelerate and um now these let me dial it back at manulife we partner with picte asset management uh, based in geneva um, and they are we would describe them as pioneers in what uh, we would say is thematic investing um, they've got over 20 years of experience in thematic uh, investing um, and they use the the these megatrends as kind of a background to the ideas or recognition of how the global economy is going to change over the next number of years—not just you know year two years, but you know over the next decades. What are the themes that are going to drive the global economy? Uh, megatrends are. are powerful social demographic environmental and technological forces of change that are are reshaping our world Uh, these trends are transforming the way countries are governed companies are run and people live their lives as we're seeing and living and experiencing today Uh, the impact of these megatrends include the digitalization of the economy the rapid expansion of cities and the depletion of the earth's natural resources and so what Pictate tries to do is analyze and understand these ideas and the beneficiaries or the companies that are involved in these megatrends that are actually shaping our future. And, And I'll start with one example, and that's the idea of a digital currency or digital payments. Uh, this is something that has been talked about for a while. And, and we've seen it with with Visa and you know, basically credit card transactions over time. But I, I think that's changed in that, you know, guys, when was the last time you used cash, that you paid cash for something? And I don't just mean uh, like because of the coronavirus, but especially because of the coronavirus. So we've seen you know, we're moving rapidly to a cashless society, but even beforehand. You know, how often would you go to the bank to withdraw money? And I'm thinking personally, I haven't been to an ATM since before the lockdown, as businesses have basically now they're putting up signs saying, you know, debit or credit only. So this is actually forcing that uh, the acceleration of this cashless society. That you know, there are many examples of companies that are benefiting from this. But you know, hey, Kev, when was the last time you used cash?
2: Yeah, I, I honestly don't even remember. remember. Um... Uh, it, it's crazy. Uh, I, you talk about ATMs. I think the last time I went to an ATM was actually de- deposit cash. Um, it, it's funny. I, I, I do a lot of shopping even before COVID-19, uh, for my mother-in-law. And so I put it on my visa. I benefit from the points and then uh, she pays me in cash and I deposit that cash in my bank account. Know? So it's, uh, I, you know, I'm even using it. I'm not using cash from that perspective, you know? So um i don't remember when the last time i went to actually withdraw cash from atms
1: and i think when we were talking with them is the sell-off that we saw in march essentially provided an opportunity for the pms on that fund to uh, add to those positions so they were always very positive on it based on us going away from basically uh, fiat currency but what they saw was there was a cyclical compression in the short term but actually boosted the secular trend of electronic payments. And they were able to add to positions that they already had at even more attractive valuations. And that's, yeah, we saw the carnage that we saw in the markets, but it provided a lot of our fund managers great opportunities to add to great names within those uh, within those funds.
0: Exactly. And, and these companies include, Visa is, is one of the more uh, top of mind companies when you think about that. Um, but you have you know, PayPal is another one. Um, you know, Fidelity National Financial is another one that basically they manage you know, cash transactions. And this is a business that you know we're going to see um, become more prevalent uh, as a result of, uh, it was already moving that way, um, but it's gonna increase. And I, I remember uh, when I was a kid, when you had that part-time job, you still got a paycheck, and it was a physical check. Here you go. There wasn't this um, direct deposit that didn't exist. on, you know. So before you say yes, you know that that does indicate how old I am. But you had to then go.
1: I didn't even have to say yeah, I, it. I didn't even yeah, have to say uh, it. No, I know.
0: I could just <laughs> feel it. Uh, you had to go and literally <laughs> deposit the check, um, and uh, and then you know, withdraw the cash. Um, and now, yeah, I, again, everything's by the card and everything is points related as, as Kevin, you said, absolutely. We, we so you know, sit there, he's like, gotta have your points. Gotta do this. You know, hey, hold on. I've got my card. Yep. Here we go. And, uh, it's, I think this, this coronavirus is only going to accelerate that. And I think there are some really great companies that can take advantage of it.
2: You know, what's interesting, Philip, on that perspective is not just e-payments, uh, companies are benefiting, but think about cybersecurity. Right as we transact online, we have to increase our our security around that, and some companies are great at taking advantage of that. Right, so it'll be quite interesting to see the advent of of um, protecting against uh, cyber or uh, cybersecurity uh, for online payments.
1: Well, look at it, Kev. You bring up a good point. Is let's take away from the transaction perspective and let's kind of leverage what we we're talking about into what you need to know. Where more of us are working from home we're using these programs whether it's zoom whether it's you know the various uh mess like the various programs and security from that aspect is going to be even more important in terms of uh of we'll look what zoom went into in terms of the security aspect of that and as we work more from home i think that's going to be even more important in terms and this goes to one of their themes And one of their larger themes is this whole cybersecurity aspect and whether it's from the electronic payment perspective or it's whether just generally security while we're using these laptops at home that benefit the areas that they're investing in. And look at something like that was already happening was cyber, basically cyber theft, right? And then now fast forward to today, we were hearing stories about cyber theft that are targeting pharmaceutical companies that are trying to develop a potential vaccine. And I think COVID just, again, increased the amount of spending that's going to go into these areas. And managers like Pictet with this fund uh, are well positioned because of that. Switching
0: gears a little bit, let's think about uh, globalization because there's been a lot of discussion around whether globalization has been a failed experiment in a way because of the coronavirus pandemic. And we're going to see deglobalization. Now, I don't believe that's the case. And speaking with with uh, Gert, uh, the lead portfolio manager on the Global Thematic Opportunities Fund, the Manulife Global Thematic Opportunities Fund, they had a different way of looking at it in terms of it's not necessarily going to be de-globalization. Um, it's going to remain, they think, a globalization environment, but they call it nearshoring where it's it's... Still, diversification of your, uh, I guess, manufacturing or s- your supply chain, um, but it's going to be focused from globalization to regionalization, uh, where they're saying it's a mix of both redundancies of supply chains and near shoring, um, obviously being dependent on costs. Like, we can't, you know, the idea that because of the coronavirus, one way or another, we're all of a sudden going to bring jobs back to Canada, the United States, wherever it is. Well, that only works if economically, it makes sense you know companies aren't going to say hey we're going to double our costs by bringing factories back home it's just that it's highly unlikely that that's going to happen now automation will allow for uh that you know repatriation of some jobs uh or repatriation of the manufacturing that's not necessarily great for the economy i, mean, I know we used to say there's you know some factories that you know run with uh with two people you know, one person to hit the start button and the stop button; the other one to walk the security dog around the compound. Right? So, because everything is is robotics based. Um, but this nearshoring idea uh, is kind of interesting, where companies and and he used the example of Schneider Electric is geographically diversified, but they're not dependent on a part from one area of the world being shipped to another area of the world to complete the sale. They're more regional in that they're not impacted by, let's say, you know, trade wars. They're not impacted by a shutdown in one economy that's going to impact another economy. Um, they've set themselves up and with these redundancies to maintain operations uh, pretty much wherever they operate. And that's, that is a theme that they think is going to continue um, over, over the course of time just-in-time delivery is going to be unwound inventory management is likely to be expanded to allow for some of the sudden shocks that we've seen and this is so globalization continues to be uh, a theme a a megatrend going forward not in the traditional the way that we think about it um, but in a way that's i think overall smarter for businesses
1: yeah and what was interesting when talking with them and i think one thing, one aspect that is m- probably more likely, and I think we all agree, to come back home is the production of anything that is healthcare related or medical technology related. So we saw the shortages that we're still experiencing with PPE, with ventilators. And one reason that the Germans have been so successful opening back up is because they basically manufacture a manufacturing economy, they're an export driven economy, and they already manufacture the stuff in house. So I think there's going to be that trend uh, globally in terms of bringing some of this type of materials and equipment back home. And Gert was saying that the medical technologies companies that they invest in are likely to benefit from that as more of that production comes back home and they see an increase in revenue as a result of that.
2: De-globalization, it's almost like uh, re-globalization, just changing the way that that companies globalize, moving, uh, as you said, perhaps... Uh, companies rather than have a you know a home office and one facility, they have many facilities around the world. Uh, when you talk about uh, just-in-time management, uh, one of my early jobs was working in a electronic component distributor, and essentially we bought from uh, manufacturers and sent to end um, uh, uh, companies that were putting these uh, electronics together, and I was in charge of of getting uh, shipments from suppliers. And you get lead times that would take, you know, 10 to 20 weeks of a small electronic component. And if those end manufacturers did not have that component, they could be actually shut down. And this is just, uh, really compounded the, the impact to some of these end manufacturers and how they need to have better access and perhaps better, uh, inventory management, uh, for, uh, their, their necessary, uh, pieces of their production facilities.
0: One of the other interesting aspects in terms of megatrends is digital transformation. Yeah, now, we it's perhaps one of the most overused catchphrases out there, this digital transformation. Um, but we have to think about it in terms of, you know, like online, e-commerce. Uh, and here we're seeing an acceleration of it as well, where companies that were bricks and mortar, dependent on bricks and mortar, they're going to have to catch up rapidly. But in terms of digital transformation or, or you know, technology, uh, the one company that I thought, you know, when, when he mentioned it, it was just like, oh yeah, absolutely. Was NetEase. This, this company that basically is, is benefiting because, you know, as we're stuck at home, what are we doing more of? Well, we're more online and uh, we're more playing online games and uh, companies like, like NetEase are benefiting from that. Uh, and this is something that I think, you know, to, it leads right back. If we're going to be in the office less, which I think is, is a potential, then we are going to have more time um, to do other things if we're not commuting. And, you know, online is, is definitely one of those things that, uh, that we're going to see an uptick in. Not just, you know, again, not just gaming uh, but I think it's going to be with everything that we've, we've done. And I'll give you another example. Um, so the weather's turned nice. The weather's finally, you know, turned nice. Um, and it's, it's back to shorts weather. Well, guess what? My kids have grown like six inches in the last year each. So nothing from last summer fits. And so we're online shopping for their clothes, uh, you know, shorts, t-shirts and, and whatnot. And you know there are companies that are right on top of this and doing it very very well and are are gaining our dollars as a result of it, and other companies that aren't. And this is a a transition I think is going to be is going to continue with the ease in which we can do this. Just sit there saying, okay, you know they have the sizing guides. Um, We're moving into an environment of augmented reality where you'll actually be able to see what these clothes look like on you those companies stand to benefit very well from from what's going on.
1: And so I asked Gert the question, in this post-COVID world, what themes are gonna be more vulnerable and ones that will actually benefit from this? And he said, going forward, security is gonna be materially positively impacted, IT security, robotics, which is another theme, Uh, smart cities, which is a theme he said, is going to be mixed going forward, biotech, he said positive, The only one he really said that may be negatively impacted and likely impacted is premium brands in the short term. As we travel less uh, over the next year or two years, that's going to have an impact on premium brands. Uh, He highlighted companies like Expedia or Middleby, and this shows how, you know what, if the thesis changed, they're not not hard-headed. And the thesis has changed with COVID-19 when it comes to some of these companies. And those companies were very quick to come out of the portfolio. But generally, net-net, because these themes are, as Philip mentioned, they're 12 to 15-year type of trends, not fads. Even something as transformation as COVID has really only impacted one of those themes of the, I think it's 12 to 15 that they have.
2: The other thing that they've been doing, uh, which is kind of interesting as well, as you talk about this, is not only adding to either new names or, or adding to names they like because of, of uh, sell-off in their stock price, but taking advantage of run-ups in certain companies to trim and take profits. You know, that's another way that they're they're making changes in this environment. You know, it's, they're not just sitting on their hands. There's always something to change um, within a portfolio, whether it's taking profits or adding an, or high-grading to the, the, the portfolio.
1: Philip, can I ask you a question? You can ask me anything. So let's, I'm going to ask you a question that we had to ourselves when... When global thematic opportunities was positioned to the team is, you know what this sounds like a fad product in this environment where ESG has garnered a lot of AUM It's just just another fad. And uh, do you want to maybe talk about our experience with really doing a deep dive due diligence trip uh, with the team and uh, the things that we took away from it? Because I think that's important to highlight. Yeah, certainly, and, and
0: you know, often names can can. Lead us to the wrong conclusion or wrong impression of things. And so, you know, I would say when we first heard life Global Thematic Opportunities Fund, it's exactly that. Oh, okay. This is going to be one of those uh, companies that invests in like Uber and Netflix and all these, you know, kind of really interesting companies, but none of them really make make a lot of, of money. But this is all the future. These are disruptive technologies. There's another word that's been used, you know, I think perhaps overused over time disruptive technology. Um, And some some of these companies will work, some won't. And it just reminded me of of the dot com era where you had a lot of great ideas, but you didn't necessarily have great execution. They didn't have the funding on them. And so that was perhaps a a preconceived notion that was completely wrong. Now, when we went last year and met with the team and sat down with every member of the team. And, and it's not just you know, the, the, the two lead portfolio managers. It's all the other thematic teams underneath them for each of these uh, themed portfolios that we were able to sit down and say, okay, help us understand what you're looking for. Help us this. You know, We walked away with a renewed respect for what they do, uh, a deeper appreciation for the companies that they own, the process employed, the ESG that was a part of it and has been a part of it for years, that really, I would say, changed my mind on it. The first one being that, one, I think that their process is is very, very well uh, articulated and and, um, developed. Uh, But one of the key characteristics that really attracted me to what they do is that when we started talking about these companies like an Uber or or a Tesla, they said, well, we only invest in companies that actually generate profits, right? So if a company cannot prove that it can create value over time, that it is profitable over time, we don't invest. We're not investing in in great ideas. We're investing in proven great ideas. Uh, And that, I think, really spoke to me um, because it, it removes an element of risk you have a margin of safety in the companies that you own Uh, and it served them quite well during this downturn that guess what companies that actually generate a profit uh, hold their value better than companies that do not and so i uh, i think that or i came away with a a much better appreciation knowledge of what they do how they do it um, and the value that they bring to the table and that's why you know it, it as of March 31st, it, it was included in our model portfolio uh, because of what it delivers. You know that It was more, you know, why not sooner? We were waiting for the right opportunity to, to add to it. And I think uh, March 31st presented a great opportunity to do so.
2: One of the things that Gert said on our call uh, on Monday uh, that really struck me was, uh, they, they are, look for quality compounders. So quality businesses that are still compounding growth, right? Compounding their business and growing their business. And going back to our our, our visit in Geneva, my big aha moment was understanding that these themes are not, you know, kind of, oh, pie in the sky ideas and, and what we should, you know, how things might look like in 15, 20 years. But what they're doing is using these themes to cut the investable universe a different way. Most global managers, most investment managers for any type of, of, of equity fund use the global industry classification standards, right? The GIC sectors uh, to identify where a company lies. They use these themes really just to uh, as their own GIC sectors. And it all it does is just cuts the way they view the lens uh, of their investable universe.
1: So my aha moment was, and I think this has to do with AUM flows, and we've seen this over the past couple of years, As there's been a lot of inflows into any strategy that is low volatility or ESG type of strategy. And the reason I bring this up is I know there's some solutions out there that are outside of this that, you know what, they started in the depths of the financial crisis, 2009, 2010, and they had incredible Numbers, But they never experienced or you didn't know how they were going to react during a downturn. And what really stuck out with me with Pictet is they've been doing this type of investing for 24 years. Uh, they have garnered and these GTR, the short term is these type of strategies, close to $420 billion. So they've done this through multiple cycles and which was very refreshing to see is during this downturn, they acted, the performance acted very much in line with what everyone was expecting at Manulife with good downside protection. And it's because they've been through multiple cycles. And I think Hans Peter, who's one of the heads of the thematic equities, and we got this a lot when we brought when they brought in the individual PMs is their motto, is, as Moores is be boring, make money, their motto is we know everything about a little Basically are opposition to global equity managers who say they know a little about everything. And you really got that from each one of these managers with how much they knew of the underlying business. And that speaks volumes in terms of why they've been able to do well over multi decades and to be able to increase their AU up to the levels where they're one of the top, I think it was top 50 asset managers in the world.
0: Nailed it there with the differentiation of how they look at the universe. I mean, who's to say that the Git classifications are the right way to look at the investable universe? Yeah, Maybe we're looking at things the wrong way. And looking at companies that are driving change going forward or gonna participate from the, the change over the next number of years, Perhaps is the better way to look at it, especially if you want to, to drive growth, drive quality, drive value. Um, they've certainly, I think, captured a good way of doing so. And I think in this environment, I said it earlier, but you know, I'm going to just repeat myself here, because of the coronavirus lockdowns in Canada, in the United States, in Europe and around the world, it is, it is changing our behavior. Uh, we have to adapt to it. There are behavioral shifts that I think aren't going to be temporary. They're going to be permanent. And as a result of that, there are companies that are going to benefit from this and companies that will fall by the wayside.
1: So let, maybe let's talk about the B in terms of how they derive these themes.
0: Sure. Real quickly, they, uh, they worked with the Copenhagen Institute of Future Studies on that. And really, it's to identify these global megatrends that will make up uh, or, or uh, impact the economy, the global economy for a foreseeable time, right? So the megatrends are kind of the big picture idea. The investment themes are the intersection of these megatrends. Um, and so, for example, some of the investment themes is like robotics. You know, robotics would be Uh, tied to globalization, in a way. Automation is another one, you know, in a way. Um, And so it's intersection of the broad megatrends that really inspire or or capture or are captured in these underlying themes. And those themes of, you know, smart cities, premium brands, um, the environment, clean energy, water, and so on, are the new sectors, if you will, that they're focusing their attention on to find the companies that are, yeah, you know, and it, the, as pure as possible, right? So there is a purity factor to what they're looking for. You know, if a company isn't 100% involved in water, you know, what is their purity or how much of their revenues actually come from that segment? And obviously, they want the, the greater the, the proportion of revenue that comes from that, the higher the purity content. The more true this company it would be to one of these themes, it, w- when you think about it, it's like yeah. If I am investing for the long term, shouldn't I be investing in themes for the long term? It just seems to go hand in hand.
1: It's a good point in terms of the purity, and when you look at their individual holdings, uh, it's very rare to find any one of these big global multinational companies. So each for so Honeywell, GE's of the world. They will have a water department within obviously their branch but because the purity score how much of the revenue is driven from that theme uh, is low because it's a multinational conglomerate it doesn't find its way into the portfolio and that speaks to the active share so when you look at the active share of global thematic opportunities it's close to 91% so it's very different than the underlying index the MSCI world and it's often a very good complement for uh, the positions you may hold today.
0: So let's, let's close off the conversation here because I, I think you know, we can go on and talking about megatrends for, forever um, and, and maybe we'll, we'll have to revisit this as well. But when you think of – so I'm going to pose this – we're going to end it here. But when you look at the themes in the portfolio, which is the one that you sit there and you go – that speaks to you the most – and I'll start, you know, I'll I'll just go at it. And I think given given what's going on, so I'm going to give you guys a few seconds to just think about it. But given what's going on, you know, I think one of the themes that speaks to me the most, um, I, I, I'm going to leave healthcare and, and biotech, I'm going to say digital. Um, and digital because of how we're doing this podcast, how I'm operating on a day-to-day basis. That's the one that when I look at it, I go, you know, how is my life changed by what's going on? Definitely, this digital transformation is impacting my day-to-day life. And that's the one that I can relate to more than any others.
2: I was probably going to choose uh, um, digital because I thought for sure you were going with health. But if you, you know, avoid the obvious, you know, I'll, I'll leverage your uh, thing with digital. And I'll say security and, and really e-payments. Right? And you mentioned earlier you're were, you were shopping more online. Well, how are you shopping more online? Well, you're using e-payments, you're using your credit card, you're using PayPal, you're using these other aspects. And then you have to have security to make sure you protect your purchases and protect um, your information from getting out there. So, you know, I think you can choose any of these, but they're, they're, it's, it's so interesting when you, de- you dive deeper into um, their process and the themes, you realize these companies that are really well-positioned to take advantage of, uh, of the changing dynamics.
1: For me, it would be smart cities. And the reason for it is when I look at COVID-19, obviously because of the characteristics of large cities, it's been concentrated in large cities for the most part. And I think when you look at smart cities and the technology behind that in terms of the other themes, I think it's only going to be increased. So I look at a couple of examples. So one of these themes within that smart cities are these smart buildings And one thing within the companies that they invest in is basically air filtration. So going forward, maybe these companies, and I was reading a bit about it, is based they can figure out where people are within the building. And if let's say there's a concentration of people in one part of that building, then the air filtration will kick up in that part of the building to make sure that the air is better circulated than other areas which may have less people. Or as social distancing continues, and I know Google Smart City was, doing, was planning on doing this in Toronto anyways, is if there's a lot of volume in one area, whether it's pedestrian or car traffic, is they would change the lights or basically create paths to really disperse people. And I think COVID, as we go forward, there's social distancing will continue, is that smart city or these underlying themes within that will continue to benefit from that.
0: I you know what smart city I think you're you're that's a great one if you look at the success that uh, maybe call it smart city smart country the success that say Taiwan has had in terms of managing the coronavirus one of the ways that they're doing that is by tracking people on their phone yeah, and, and those that should be quarantined. Uh, if you came into the country from somewhere else and you have to do a 14-day quarantine, they're tracking you on your phone. If you're moving around, they're tracking you on your phone. The contact tracing is, is all done you know, through this, You can think about it like smart application, this network that they've got uh, in. Now, Taiwan can do this. I think it would be more difficult to do this in Canada, but not impossible. I think this is definitely a direction that we can see things headed. Um, and it's one that, you know, I think, is proving itself beneficial to just to the health of the general population. So, now that's a great one.
1: And think about how security impacts that. Like Kevin's point is, okay, If okay, I may be different, but I'm willing to give my information but as long as it's secure. And now security gets involved in that smart city tracking. So there's a lot of overlap in these themes. And that's one thing I think we all noticed uh, when we went over there.
0: Now, I'm going to wrap it up. I think this is a great conversation in terms of global themes. And I think it ties in well with what we're going through. And, and also to the point that you know, we know where we are in terms of the economic recession. We know where, where things are going. Um, we know that it's going to be a, a gradual recovery. I don't think it's going to be as fast as others. But that doesn't mean that we should be ignoring the investment opportunities that are in front of us for today, for the next year, for the next number of years. And this is why you know, we had this call with our partners at Pictet earlier this week to go a little bit deeper into the portfolio. This is why we're talking about it on this podcast. It's like, what do we do in a recovery? Well, here we go. Let's focus on some of the opportunities that might not be in the next 30 days, but likely to be a an opportunity that exists for the next number of years, and how we can capitalize on that with the Manulife Global Thematic Opportunities Fund. So you know, that's the commercial, we'll leave it there. Guys, we're heading into the summer. Real quick, what's the one thing you're looking forward to this summer?
2: Uh- I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to enjoying my backyard. I've already started to. First thing I do in the morning is I take my coffee and go sit outside and read some emails on my back deck. And uh, I just, I'm just so looking forward to this weather and continuing this this nice weather.
1: Yeah, I guess mine's pretty easy. My wife is seven months pregnant, so she's expecting in July. So I think as a family unit, we're looking forward to that. And if I didn't give that answer, I know uh, I'd be getting in trouble. But that's something I am looking forward to. <laughs>
0: That's that's always a good one. Mine mine is actually uh, ice cream. You know, I'm looking forward to. There's an ice cream shop near us, and and uh, you know they uh, they're open. Oh, nice! Uh, and going for walks with the kids and going and getting ice cream, but like walking down there and walking home is something that I'm looking forward to. It's, it's it's one of the simple things in life. It's something that we can still do in this environment without having to worry um, or put anyone at at risk. And uh, I'm I am really looking forward to that. So on that gentlemen philip you better get on that bike oh i i'm 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 biking <laughs> i'm running i'm that's it you have to earn the ice cream kevin you have to earn that ice there cream before you get it absolutely all right gentlemen thank you very much uh and thank you for listening uh this has been philip peterson makhania and kevin Headland. uh you've been listening to investments unplugged copyright manulife commentary is for general information purposes only and shouldn't be relied on for specific financial, legal, or other advice, and does not constitute an offer or an invitation by or on behalf of Manulife Investments to any person to buy or sell any security. Opinions expressed are those of Manulife and or the sub-advisor of Manulife Investments and are subject to change based on market and other conditions. Manulife isn't responsible for any losses arising from any use of this information. Manulife Mutual Funds are managed by Manulife Investments, a division of Manulife Asset Management Limited. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses all may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fun facts and perspectives before investing. Mutual funds are not guaranteed, their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated. This information does not replace or supersede Know Your Client Suitability, Needs Analysis, or any other regulatory
2: requirements.